Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast, where we have conversations with guests about their life, loss, grief, and of course, grief dreams, which can be dreams of the deceased. If you want to know more about the topic and your hosts, please visit our website at griefdreams.ca. To support our podcast, please go ahead and rate it. For additional ways to support us, please refer to our show notes. Before we move on with the show, we'd like to give a territory acknowledgement. Long before Canada was formed, the Stalo people were the original land stewards, and they have lived here since time immemorial. They continue to live in the unceded Stalo territory, known to settlers as the Fraser Valley and Lower Fraser Canyon of British Columbia. We recognize and honor the contribution that Indigenous people have made and continue to make to our community and the topic of great dreams. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today and listening. Uh, I'll be your host today, Joshua. Our co-host, Jade, could not be with us today, so I'll be going and doing this solo. But we have a special guest today, which I'm really excited for, Rebecca Sofer. And so she is a co-founder of the Modern Loss Community. She started to become an expert in grief the moment she learned that her mother, Shelby, was killed in a car crash. Her expertise expanded when four years later, her father, Ray, died of a heart attack while traveling. As a single woman in her early 30s, Rebecca needed to talk about her grief. She needed to hear others talk about theirs. It was this longing for an ongoing conversation that led her, along with co-founder Gabby Berkner, to start the Modern Loss Community. Nine years later, Rebecca just published her second book, The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through your grief and building your resilience. It's the kind of book that many people are looking for in their grief. It's filled with prompts for writing, drawing, movement practices to help people stay connected to themselves, the people who died, and the world around them. And you can find more about Modern Loss at modernloss.com. So Rebecca, thank you for joining us today. Joshua, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, it's great to speak to you again. And I, I love that you got this second book that has come out. And one of the, the beauties of life is sometimes the things you do in life actually will be noticed by other people and be impacted and hopefully sort of raise awareness. And you actually brought in not only sleep, which I'm such a huge fan of, not many people do when it comes to loss, but also grief dreams. And I was taken back and kind of surprised. I always am a little bit surprised when people do want to talk about that subject, but you put it in your book. And I think that's a phenomenal resource for people to get a little bit of an understanding. So I just want to thank you for doing that. No, totally. Look, I'm 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 like uh, I'm a client as well as someone who runs this stuff. I think one of the reasons that modern loss is so resonant with such a community around the world is because, you know, I am a fellow griever. Like I am one of you, you know, and so I am someone I'm like, wait, my sleep has been messed up. Wait, I'm having like weird things with dreams. Let's explore that. So I'm like my own guinea pig for the modern loss experiment many times. And that is why, you know, you're being modest, but like you shine very brightly in this book as my dreams expert. And um, yeah, I mean, I I just think it's something that's so worthy of like uh, of exploring. And I, I think that when someone dies, we don't automatically, our first thought isn't like, oh, my dreams, like that's going to be a thing because we're just overwhelmed by the loss. But it, it is, it is very much one of those, um, one of the fallouts of, of, of a loss. I, I think in your book, you talk about you had a lot of nightmares after the two losses in your life. I'm guessing you've had more since. And could you talk about those and, and what those sort of played into how you're able to cope with grief or your thoughts on your processing of grief? 
Um, well, my mom died in a car accident. So obviously that was an unexpected thing. Uh, I had just seen her just about an hour before the accident occurred. My dad was in the car with her. This was an incredibly traumatizing experience for him, obviously, and for me because, you know, my mom died <laughs> and I had to handle all the funeral stuff and looking at her body and, you know, also just like absorbing everything that my dad had to share with me about that experience, which was very traumatizing to me. And I kind of like automatically held a lot of space for it because I was on autopilot and I didn't know what else to do. But months down the line, you know, I really started, I didn't sleep very well for many months, obviously. But then like I started having some really bad dreams. And I think the dreams started coming when I started feeling again, like when the shock kind of started wearing off, obviously like had dreams about my mom being in an accident, you know, all that stuff. But then, you know, just had some really wild and bizarre dreams of like desperately trying to reach her on the phone and not being able to reach her. And then when I reached her, she was very kind of like disembodied and uninterested with her voice. And like, these were very stressful for me to have. They were very painful. It was like, having my grief like stoked all over again. And that's when I really started to explore those, you know, the dreams. Wow. That's, that's horrifying that you had to sort of relive some of those moments and have those experiences while you're asleep. And then to like how it sort of just triggers the emotions moving forward. And so did they change over time? Like, have you seen anything different now that you've, you know, you work through a lot of your grief and you're helping people through theirs? Have you seen those change? Are they just, do you still have nightmares? Um, I, you know, I don't really tend to have nightmares now. You know, my mom died so many years ago, but also I know that that doesn't really mean anything with regard to loss. You know, we're constantly processing our grief and our, the, and its evolution because we are alive and like our grief ebbs and flows and shifts along the way as we move through life and our relationship to our person or our pet who we lost, you know, evolves. Uh, I would say, I would not say that nightmares are something that I really struggle with right now. I tend to just kind of have dreams that like so many of them are just like, fine. And guess what? I'm fine with that because I was put through the ringer for, uh, you know, a couple years there. And so I'm one of those people, I'm like happy to have fine dreams. I have tried the dream rescripting. I have tried the dream builder, you know, like those exercises that you, you know, really guided me through when I was writing the book and have had some pleasant surprises. I mean, you know, like, yes, I, I always wish that I would go to sleep and everybody I loved who I had lost would visit me and we'd like share a really good pizza. But that dream hasn't happened yet. Alas, alas. But you know, a girl can dream. So you never know. <laughs> that is very true. That's very true. And I just wonder if like, could you expand on maybe one of the pleasant dreams that you had that you can remember? Yeah, I actually do. I remember now I don't remember all the details because I didn't write them down, but I, I remember the feeling. And for me, the feeling is like, so much more important than remembering the details, you know? Um, I remember dreaming my grandmother died of a stroke six months before my mom died. And we loved her so much. Sylvia, she was just like the softest person, like the softest woman in every sense of the word, you know? Even I remember like I would, I would like caress the top of her hand because it was so soft. And I remember like always caressing her cheek with the back of my hand because I loved her cheek. Like it was just so soft. And she was this amazing knitter. We called her golden fingers. I still use her blankets to this day. She was just an incredible, beautiful, lovely woman, just like the, like the prototype 
of like that sweet, loving, warm and welcoming grandma. And I think that it was like during a particularly difficult and sad moment. And I don't even remember when it was. It must have been over the last several years at some point. And, you know, life is life and it's messy and it's hard and we go through different things. And I think I must have been having a really hard stretch. And I remember missing so much the feeling of like being mothered and cared for because both of my parents died within four years of each other. And I've really had to learn how to like mother myself in the wake of that. And that isn't always easy. It's always to a certain extent, lonely because it's just me in there. And I remember dreaming about my grandma, about Sylvia. And I just remember her sitting with me and just so calmly, because I think I was probably really stressed during that time too. And I remember her holding my hand in hers. And I remember feeling that softness, like feeling it, I could feel it. And her just sitting there calling me like Mama Shana, which is just Yiddish, you know, just like a loving term and just sitting there with her in that warmth. And I think that's really what the dream was. You're the dream researcher. Maybe it lasted four seconds. Who knows? You know, but it was enough that I woke up and I was like, oh my God, like I'm not somebody who really believe, I don't believe in you know, I'm pretty agnostic. I'm I'm a very cultural Jew. And, you know, I, 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 I'm pretty agnostic. I don't necessarily believe that, you know, in the afterlife or I don't believe in heaven and hell and whatever. I wish I believed that my mom was like sitting right here. I don't, I believe that energy is inexplicable and I don't know what goes on with that. And I really felt like I woke up and I had been with her and I felt that love. And I remember being like, that was weird. It was like, she was here. And then I remember deciding to embrace it. Like it was a decision, kind of like I think you have to make it with all things of like faith or like inexplicable things. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to embrace the fact that I got to spend time with her. Like I'm going to own that, you know, and I don't know what it means, but I'm going to own it and it's going to make me feel better. And it did. And I really, it was a beautiful thing to have. Yeah. I wish I had more of it. Well, I think we all wish we had these moments more. Um, some people just don't have them, but it's beautiful the way you've just articulated that and the love and the just the touch of the skin. And like, I don't know, I, I, I could feel it in a way and how powerful that can be in those moments that were deeply stressed. Yeah, it was amazing. Wow. I wish, I do wish that I had more dreams about my mom and my dad. And I really don't. I, I really don't dream that much about them. I don't. Yeah, it's and still a I, mystery on like, how, do, how can we increase this or just what are these and, and how do I feel that love? Because that's one of those things I'm more fascinated about more than like the afterlife or like, you know, some people believe it, some people don't. I'm more really curious about this love that people sort of experience within these moments of the, the dream. And, you know, what is that about? Like, and, and where's that going on? Because there's something in us, you know, one way or another that's experiencing that. And I think that's such a beautiful place to, to be in. To sort of regroup as we sort of conquer the world again every morning. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. Like, I also, I think I used to be like, oh my God, I wish I would dream about them. Like, oh my God. And I've kind of like chilled out a little bit. And I'm like, you know, when it comes, it comes. Like, I can do all the manifesting and do all the exercises. And I also know it's like, I only have so much control over it, you know? Like, I'm the last few yeah. years, 
of pandemic life have taught me we only have so much control and we can hope for it and we can plan for it. And I do believe that one day I'll, I'll have a dream that'll be amazing. And, you know, and, but instead, you know, what I do is I embrace waking dreams and those are really beautiful, like reveries. Like I'm a big fan of the waking dream, the meditation, if you will. Like when I, it's more of like a mindfulness practice, I guess, like when I'm having a really overwhelming moment and I, I'm like, where do I want to be? And I think I want to be in Lake George, in the Adirondacks. And I want it to be like the golden hour. I want it to be like 530 in the afternoon and that light. I want it to be gorgeous. And I want to be sitting on this rock with my mom in our bathing suits and just like feeling that hot rock and just sitting there. And I, I can transport myself there. You know, it takes practice, but that stuff is very powerful. Wow. Uh, it seems amazing if you can utilize that technique. I think it's great because yeah, you're doing very similar things as what you would do in your your night dreams. Mm. And, and so I want to jump forward because this episode is going to be released like in December. Mm -hmm. And right now a lot of people are going through sort of, as you call it, the Hallmark holidays. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What more um, can we call them, right? Yeah, I call right. it I call it this I call it the stressmas season. <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah. So I know your book talks a little bit about it. And I wonder if you could just touch on that just for the listeners and for people that are in these moments on maybe tips and that you've learned along the way from your own grief journey and also hearing other people's stories. Yeah, I mean, look, this is like such an insulting time of year for people who are living with any sort of difficult thing. You know, I don't want to marginalize people who are having, you know, they're going through a divorce or they're going through a job loss or they're going through fertility struggles. You know, this is all very hard stuff. I think the holidays just throw into sharp relief everything that's really hard in our lives because they're contrasted against our insistence that everything be like sparkly and we clink champagne glasses and everything be merry and bright. But, you know, for a lot of us, they're also really hard time machines where we can be transported back to a previous holiday that was really amazing because it had our person in it, our people. We know exactly where we were, say Christmas Eve, three years ago. We knew exactly where we were on New Year's Day, having that brunch with our friends. And then that one of those friends has since died. It is a very hard thing because it's really gets in your mind. Like it's a real mental you know, it really messes with your mind, you know? And so I think it's just really, for people who are living in that first year of loss, my biggest advice over the holidays is if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Embrace opting out. There is so much pressure to like be participating in everything. Like I have a five and an eight-year-old and I can't, it's only December 6th and I can't even tell you how many like tree lightings and cocoa with Santa. Like it's like a hundred invitations a day. And I'm like, oh my God, do I have to do all of these? And first the answer is no, because I'm Jewish. So that's like also kind of weird. But second, I mean, I love Christmas. The Jews love Christmas, but also like you don't have to do everything. It's, it's easy to get overwhelmed by everything and absorb everything, but you don't have to do it. Like you, and you absolutely shouldn't because it's not a good idea. Like if you are invited to a holiday party and you are really struggling with a lot, and you feel like you should say yes, by all means, accept the invitation. But if you don't feel like going on that day, do not go. Do not force yourself to go. Because if you feel in your gut that you really don't want to do this, you're right. You shouldn't be doing this. And saying no to something like that is opening up space for you to say yes to taking care of yourself in the 
the way that you need that day. Like maybe you need to be alone and watch like, I don't know, maybe you need to like watch planes, trains, and automobiles and really sink into the feelings and feel super griefy and have an ugly cry. Maybe you want to like go volunteer somewhere and like not really be in a familiar setting, but feel like you're doing something to help somebody else. And that that is a good channel for your, you know, your feelings. Maybe there's like another friend who isn't supposed to be at this thing who's available, who can meet you for a drink and talk. So I really... I really don't think that year one is the best year for pushing yourself to do all the things. Um, you know, you really need to embrace JOMO, which is the joy of missing out sometimes. And I think as time goes by, you know, it's really important to find ways to pull your person's memory if it is a loving memory, you know, because I say that knowing that not every relationship is a positive one. You know, a lot of us live with the grief over somebody who died with whom we had a terrible relationship or someone who hurt us physically or emotionally, you know, or abandoned us or, you know, we were estranged from them. So this is all very, you know, umbrella things that I'm talking about. But if it is somebody whose memory you want to hold dear and close during this holiday season, there are so many ways where you can create rituals, which help you to weave that in to the holidays and make you feel like you're intentionally remembering them and intentionally bringing them in. And it really is about intention, which I know is like a woo kind of word, but it's like not really. It's about doing something on purpose, right? We get so wrapped up in all of our day-to-day things, and especially these holidays, that if we don't create the space to remember that person, we're not going to make the space. And then we're going to kick ourselves and we're going to feel more distanced from their memory. And it just doesn't feel good. So like just an example is let's say you're going to Christmas dinner at your mom's house and your dad died or your brother died, you know, last year or five years ago or whatever. And you're like, I really want to talk about Dave at this thing and no one else is bringing him up. Well, you can't wait for someone else to bring him up. If you feel like you need to bring him up, you can't stand on ceremony. I encourage you to intentionally plan for a time to remember him with everybody. And so consider like sending an email to the family saying, hey, I know Christmas dinner is coming up. I have really been missing Dave. I really miss this thing that like we always did in the holidays. And I am hoping that during dinner or during present opening that we can just kind of go around and all share a memory, each of us. And anybody who doesn't want to share one, totally fine. Like if it's not something you want to do, leave the room or just be silent. That's cool. But like, I really want to do this and hope, and I'm sure that other people do too. You know, this is just like an idea. It could also be like doing something with your hands, like cooking somebody's favorite meal, you know, like being active, like ritual is done best when it uses your body because it really is like a dynamic thing, you know, and it relaxes you when you're using your body. You're not just all in your head. So consider like, like making someone's favorite dish or like, I don't know, like, I mean, I don't know how to weave. So this is just like an, like, I don't know. And I'm also not Christian, but like, what if you like made a wreath and you like put some of that person's things in like maybe a couple of their belongings or something that really embodied them, their ethos and their personality. There are just a lot of ways to do this. Um, and it is just about kind of getting creative, but specifically being intentional. I love that. And I think that is such great advice for anyone moving in any year to sort of continue to honor the people who have died. And one of the things too, I always find that it's our friends and, and those around us, they seem like they've forgotten or they it can seem like they have forgotten like yeah. what we're going through. Yeah. Um, so what can 
maybe like friends and, and people do to sort of help and be there for the person who is grieving. I know gifting your book would be a beautiful way of remembering and honoring that person because there's so many exercises and tips for someone to normalize their own grief experiences and activities that they can play with in there. But is there anything else that you would suggest for you know someone who's trying to offer support or wants to offer support, but just doesn't know the right words to say or how to, how to go about it? Yeah. I mean, look, I I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with giving someone something that can help themselves. And be it my book, which I do think is very helpful because it really does provide an ongoing invitation with someone living with loss across the long arc to engage with that loss um, and build coping mechanisms and toolboxes and all that stuff. But like it could be as easy as like literally sending them an e-gift card for ordering from local restaurants, which seems very basic. When you say it, it seems like, oh, that's like really, uh, it's like not a big thing. It's actually a big thing because when someone is grieving, first they have to eat. They still have to nourish themselves, but them thinking about like, what am I going to cook? Like, oh my God, like I don't want to do that is an overwhelming thing. And you're also not like bringing a casserole and saying, hey, eat this, like, which might not be something that they actually want to eat. You're giving them choice and you're reminding them, hey, you have to take care of yourself, but you're letting them take care of themselves in a very low touch way. All they have to do is decide on any given moment what it is they want to order. And that is very, very helpful to someone. You know, you can also consider like, giving someone who's in early grief, like things that just like feel good on their body. You know, you're never going to take away somebody's pain. That's not your job. It's your job to be present and to make it clear that you know that they're going through something hard and that you're willing to learn how to support them. And you're going to learn alongside each other and that their grief isn't going to scare you off. You know, like you could, if it's, is it a good friend? Like, do you feel helpless? Cause she had a miscarriage. Do you want to give her like a really fuzzy pair of like socks and like some chocolate? and like some cocoa mix and say like, look, I, I wish I could make it better, but like, I can give you things that just feel good on your body. You know, like, can you just like think that through a little bit? If you're a coworker and you're not like super close, hey, guess what? You can still be cool with somebody when they walk into the office. Don't say, how are you? Or ignore them. Say, hey, Jim, it's really good to see you. Say that before you say anything, because people are always nervous to go into a new setting for the first time after they've experienced a loss. They're very aware that kind of like all eyes are on them and people are talking about them. Just make it clear that you're happy to see them. Their presence is welcome. This stuff isn't that hard to do, but it feels hard because we don't talk about it as much as we need to. Well, that's why these conversations are great. I'm learning constantly on approaching the topic more and more with these conversations. And the more we do it, the, the better we feel and the more confident we have, confidence yeah. we have moving forward. I thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciated uh, the time and energy. I know you're busy. And if you just sort of tell the people where they can find you and any other social media outlets they can sort of find you at. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so, so much for having me on. Like, I really appreciate your work. It's super cool. You know, I think you're helping a lot of people. Uh, you can find me, you know, uh, the Modern Loss Handbook is available wherever books are sold all around the world on Amazon. Also, especially your indie bookstores, support them. You can get lots of free content at modernloss.com. We publish lots and lots of amazing personal essays and resource pieces. And we are all over social media on every platform at modern loss.